You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, good morning, everybody. If you will, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you don't have your own copy of Scripture, you're going to find it on page 961 and 962 in your pew Bible. I'm going to turn there, so I'll give you guys a minute to turn there as well. I recently heard a story about a pastor who was advised to, by his doctor to lose 30 pounds and get his body in better shape. Otherwise, he would be risking some serious health consequences. And so the good pastor took his new diet seriously, even changing the driving route to the church building to avoid his favorite bakery. However, one morning, the pastor walked into his Bible study carrying a gigantic devil's food cake. And the class chuckled because they knew he was cheating on his diet. But the pastor kept a smile on his face. And he explained, listen, you don't understand. This is a very special cake. You see, I unintentionally drove by the bakery this morning, and there in the window was a host of goodies. And since there's no accidents with God, I prayed, Lord, if you want me to have one of those delicious cakes, let me have a parking place directly in front of the bakery. And sure enough, the eighth time around the block, there it was. <laughs> now, church, our culture is obsessed with physical fitness, right? In fact, it seems as if every commercial break, there's at least one advertisement promoting a new diet or weight loss plan. There's the ketogenic diet, the Mediterranean diet, the plant-based diet, I feel sorry for those people, the low-carbohydrate diet, the gluten-free diet, the South Beach diet, the carnivore diet, now that's what I'm talking about, the Weight Watchers diet, the Jenny Craig diet, and for people who don't care at all, there's the Krispy Kreme diet. <laughs> and as far as workout plans are concerned, there's also no shortage of options. There's Pelotons, P90X, CrossFit, Zumba, Pilates, Yoga, Bowflex, Daily Burn, the Richard Simmons workout, and a host of other options. Now, some people embrace these diets and workout plans with good intentions. In other words, they embrace them for their overall health and well-being, which is a good thing. However, there are many other people who embrace these diets and workout plans with the sole purpose of getting the perfect body. They have this unhealthy uh, obsession with how they look and, and how they feel, and, and this is where things can become a little problematic. Why? Because the fact remains, no matter how physically fit you are, your body is susceptible to disease and injury. And no amount of physical fitness is going to keep your body from decaying, right? Sooner or later, no matter how perfect your body may be, it'll shut down and die. And it's for this reason that we as believers need to have a balanced approach when it comes to being in shape. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You see, physical training is good for us. So I'm not saying don't, don't physically train or exercise, but it has limited benefits. Spiritual training, on the other hand, has limitless benefits. And therefore, as believers, we need to make sure that we focus a good portion of our time and energy and resources in things that help us stay in shape spiritually. Because here's the reality, church. After all is said and done, God is going to give each and every believer the perfect body they always wanted. 
In fact, this morning, that is the topic of our study. As we continue our study in 1 Corinthians, we're going to learn about God's plan for your perfect resurrected body. And in doing so, we're going to learn how we ought to live in light of God's plan. Does that sound like a plan? All right, let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Please go before me in my flesh and in my weakness. Father, I pray that you would speak through me. I submit to your Holy Spirit, God, and pray that you would do your best work um, and that I would not get in your way. God, teach us and encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we hop into our text today, let me just remind you guys, in case you're new to our journey of kind of where we're at in 1 Corinthians, um, remind you of the context. So the city of Corinth, I've told you this last couple of weeks, it's a Greek city, and Greeks, by and large, did not believe in the bodily resurrection of the dead. And so evidently, this pagan thinking began influencing the church's thinking, so much so that some born-again believers in Corinth were starting to have second thoughts on the bodily resurrection. And this, of course, is deeply problematic because a belief in the bodily resurrection of the dead is foundational to the Christian faith. And so over the last few weeks, we've seen Paul skillfully defend the bodily resurrection of believers. Well, in today's passage, we're going to find Paul skillfully explaining what the bodily resurrection of believers will look like. And so I've broken down today's passage into three realities concerning your perfect resurrection body. Let's look at uh, the first. Number one, the promise. The promise for your perfect body. Follow along with me in verses 35 through 38. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives, gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. There was a, a man who at the age of 105 suddenly stopped going to church. And alarmed by the old fellow's absence after many years of faithful attendance, the pastor went to see him. And he found the old man in excellent health. And so the pastor asked, hey, how come you, after all these years, we don't see you at church anymore? And the old man looked around, he lowered his voice, and he whispered, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, pastor. When I got to 90, I expected God would take me any day. But then I got to be 95, and then 100, and then 105. And so I figured that God is very busy, and he must have forgotten about me. And I don't want to remind him. Church, there's that old adage, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. But the reality remains that in order to be resurrected and receive a new body, we have to die. And Paul begins by using a familiar agricultural reference to illustrate his point. You see, when you place a corn kernel in the ground, the essence of that seed is dead. The, the, the kernel is dead. And the only way for the seed uh, to come alive and grow into a stalk is by external forces. Well, in the same way, when our bodies die, they're planted in the ground. And on the day of resurrection, the day of our resurrection, God, the outside force, if you will, is going to raise our bodies up out of the ground. But they're going to look different than the bodies that went into the ground. You see, our bodies, they go into the ground as seeds, right? But they come out of the ground as stalks. In other words, it's still going to be us. The essence of the seed is still corn. It doesn't change. You know, it's still going to be us, but it's going to be a far more superior version of us. Just like a stalk of corn is a far more superior version of the seed. Are you with me so far? Make sense? 
Jesus said in John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so here Jesus was actually using the, kind of a similar agricultural illustration to make a point about his own death and bodily resurrection. However, the same principle applies to every believer's death and bodily resurrection as well. You see, even though death is inevitable on the day of resurrection, there will be fruit that lasts for eternity. And so Paul continues, follow along with me, starting in verse 39 to 44. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, and the star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised as a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You know, when Benjamin Franklin was 25 years old, he composed an epitaph, epitaph for his grave. And even though it never ended up on his tombstone, the words he wrote are nevertheless true for those who believe in Jesus. And here's what his epitaph said. It said, The body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. Church, one of the most wonderful promises in all of Scripture is that even though our earthly bodies will perish, God will one day rise them up to perfection. This, of course, begs the question, well, what are our perfect bodies going to look like? Am I, you know, am I coming back as Rico Suave or something like that? Well, John Wesley said, he said, This earthly body is slow and heavy in all its motions, listless and soon tired with action. But our heavenly body shall be as fire, as active and nimble as our thoughts are. Matthew Henry said, When we arise, our bodies will have heavenly life and vigor infused into them. They will be hale and firm and durable and lively and liable, no more to any infirmity, weakness, or decay. In his book, Revealing the Mysteries of Heaven, Dr. David Jeremiah summed it up this way, our new bodies will be indestructible, identifiable, incredible, and infinite. In fact, I'd like to use Dr. Jeremiah's examples to help you better understand God's plan for your perfect body. We're going to look at those four words and kind of what they mean. Number one, our perfect bodies will be indestructible. Paul says, what is sown is perishable. But what is raised is imperishable. In other words, our new, our new bodies uh, are not going to be subject to deficiency or deterioration or decay or death. They will never experience pinched nerves, backaches, headaches, broken bones, deformities, or any types of diseases. You see, church, just like Superman, our bodies will be unbreakable. And unlike Superman, there is no kryptonite that can bring us down. How many of you are ready for that kind of body? Say, bring it on. Bring it on. Amen. In 1914, a man named James C. Moore, he wrote a hymn called Where We'll Never Grow Old. And one of the verses says, I heard of a land on a faraway strand. Tis a beautiful home of the soul, built by Jesus on high, and there we never shall die. Tis a land where we'll never grow old. Friends, this is the hope of every believer. One day we will have perfect bodies in a perfect land where we will never grow old nor 
perish. How about it? Romans 6, 8, and 9 says, Now that we have died in Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. You see, the Bible teaches that Jesus cannot die again. And since his bodily resurrection is a pattern for our bodily resurrection, we can be certain that we too will never die again. Second, our perfect bodies will be identifiable. Paul says it is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. You know, when Jesus uh, died and was buried, his body was sown in dishonor, right? It was battered, it was bruised, it was beaten, it was barren. However, when his body was raised from the dead, it was glorious. In fact, another accurate translation of the word glory is brilliance. Church, our bodies are going to have this brilliance to them that's unmatched. In fact, some people think we might even uh, have this luminescent quality to us, like I already have now, you know, because I got the light shining on me, but, but nicer and prettier. Amen. However, <laughs> by the way, Mike Noons is in town. Can we praise God Mike Noons is here? And, and I, was, I don't know if some of you guys don't know Noons, but Noons, just pipe down over there, Noons. All right, anyway. Uh, that was good. He at least amen me. I appreciate that. Um, but you got me off my rhythm here. I don't know where I'm at, Mike, all right? All right, okay. So as brilliant as our bodies may be, uh, they're still going to be recognizable to others. You see, one thing that we learn from the time between Jesus' resurrection and ascension is that he had a real physical body that was identifiable to others. Jesus said in Luke 24, 19, he said, See my hands and my feet, that it's I myself. Touch and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And since our bodily resurrection, again, follows Christ's example, we can be confident that we will recognize others and be recognized by others. Philippians 3, 20, verses 21, uh, or chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will tr transform our lowly body to be like what? His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So friends, listen, if you had any doubts about being able to recognize your believing loved ones in heaven, they should be put to rest on this very morning. David Jeremiah said, we're going to have the same literal physical bodies, but they will be risen, resurrected, and glorified, equipped for eternity. Now church, I don't know about you, but I have some loved ones in heaven right now that I cannot wait to see. And someday when I take my last breath on earth and my first breath in heaven, I can picture myself standing there in complete awe of my Savior, right? And just maybe embracing Jesus for who knows how long. And then after, after some extended period of time, I could picture myself kind of peeking over his shoulder. And there I see my believing loved ones, family, friends, people that I love so dear, just standing right behind Jesus, waiting to embrace me. And let me tell you, it's going to be the best moment ever. Amen? Amen. It makes me think of that song that says, I'm going to walk with my granddaddy. And he'll match me step for step, and I'll tell him how I missed him every minute since he left. And then I'll hug his neck. Third, our perfect bodies will be incredible. Incredible. In her book, Heaven, Your Real Home, Joni Erickson Tata, a quadriplegic, said this. She said, I can still hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, 
atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down will one day have a new body, light and bright and clothed in righteousness, powerful and sizzling. Can you imagine the hope that gives someone uh, with spinal cord injuries like me? Or someone who is cerebral palsied or brain injured or has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies and hearts and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. In the days following Jesus' resurrection, we see that Jesus had the ability to enter sealed rooms without going through the door. He was able to travel by impulses of thought. Let me tell you, man, I've always wanted to travel by impulses of thought. You're sitting in traffic, and you have all these kind of unchristian thoughts of like, I wonder if I could plow through these people and get them out of my way, you know? But like, just to be able to transport yourself, I want to be home and, and just, just go home, right? Now, does the Bible say we're going to be able to have that same type of power with our new bodies? I don't know. It, it, scripture's kind of silent on that. Um, maybe. But the Bible... Uh, what we do know for certain is that our resurrected bodies are going to be like Jesus' resurrected body, which was incredible. So I hope I could just like be talking to Mike Noons you know, one day and say, all right, Noons, I'm out of here, and just think about where I wanted to go and go, right? And then come back and visit you later. Anyway, 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has yet, not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him, for we shall see him as he really is. And fourth, our perfect bodies will be infinite. Paul says it's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. You know, when a scuba diver uh, goes into the ocean, they cannot simply jump in and go under water, right? They need to wear a scuba suit along with all the proper equipment that goes with the scuba suit. You see, without the scuba suit, they would quickly run out of breath and die. Simply put, their natural body isn't designed to operate in that aquatic environment, well, the same is true with our bodies in regard to heaven. Dr. David, David Jeremiah notes, uh, he says, the basic difference between a natural body and a spiritual body is that the former is suited for life on earth, but our spiritual bodies will be suited for life in heaven for eternity with God. And so to further illustrate this point, the Apostle Paul draws a comparison between the first man, Adam, and Jesus. Follow along with me, verses 45 through 49. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man or last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is, it is not the spiritual that is the first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of man in heaven. You see, the first man, Adam, had a natural body, right? Because he came from the dust of the earth. He became a living being through the power of God. However, his body was only suited for earthly life. Jesus, on the other hand, also called the last Adam, came from heaven, and he became a life-giving spirit. And his resurrected body is suited for eternal life. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans noted this. He said, we have, all borne the, we have all borne the image of earthly man. What we need is to bear the image of the heavenly man. From birth, all human beings are in Adam, but through faith in the gospel, we are in Christ and granted the hope of a resurrection to life. In fact, Paul affirmed this truth just a few verses earlier. Verse 22, he said, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So church, all this to say, 
we have so many reasons to be encouraged this morning. No matter how hard things may get this side of heaven, we have the promise of perfect bodies in heaven. The promise of no more death, nor tears, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain. I love what 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You guys ready for that? This leads us to the second reality, the provision of your perfect body. Look at verses 50 through 52. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. You know, church, near my house, there's this cemetery that I like to walk through. Which, by the way, I learned that exercising in cemeteries is a great place to exercise because even though it's filled with a ton of people, no one's going to talk to you there. Some people it's like, I don't, I don't understand where he's going there. You don't deserve it if you don't understand it. Anyway, but church, when we think of cemeteries, we think of death, don't we? We think of death for, not, for obvious reasons. After all, cemeteries are places where uh, bodies go to be buried. Uh, the old joke is like cemeteries, everyone's dying to get in there kind of deal, right? However, as believers, we should consider cemeteries with a different perspective. And I never considered it with a different perspective until after I got into this study. We see, but for believers, cemeteries are not just burial grounds. They're holy grounds. Why? Because they're not just the place where our, our bodies go to be buried. They're going to be the places where our bodies will one day resurrect. It's for this reason, I don't know about you, I want to have a good view on my way up to heaven someday. You know what I'm saying? I want to have a nice burial plot where I can oversee the valley and have something to look at as, when Jesus comes and brings us back. Not really. I don't really care where I get buried. But anyway, in all seriousness, a lot of people wonder when, like when's this going to happen? When are we going to receive our perfect bodies? Well, according to Paul, it's going to happen during an event that has come to be known as the rapture. We talked about it a little bit last week. He goes into it more a little bit this week. But simply put, the rapture is an event when Jesus will return and snatch away all believers, both dead and alive, from the earth in order to make way for his righteous judgment to be poured out. And now even Paul admits right here in the passage that the details surrounding the rapture are a mystery. But nevertheless, he does provide a few details as to what this event is going to look like. First, he says it will happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Meaning the rapture of the church is an imminent event that could happen at any moment. Second, it's an event when believers who have died in Christ will be given new resurrected bodies. It says the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And likewise, believers uh, who are still alive during the rapture will also be given their new bodies then as well. 1 Thessalonians 4 provides a few more details on the subject. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, the rapture, church, is significant, not only because it's an event where believers are going to receive their perfect bodies, but it's also significant because it serves as the finishing touch, if you will, of our faith. What do I mean by that? Let's see what Paul says, verses 53 through 57. 
He says, for this perishable body must, be, must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A story is told of a little boy and his father who were driving down a country road on a beautiful spring afternoon. And suddenly, out of nowhere, a bumblebee flew into the car window. Has that ever happened, by the way? Ever happened to you guys? Isn't it like when a bug flies in the car, it's like, you know, everybody freaks out? Is that just me? That's cool. But anyway, suddenly, out of nowhere, this bumblebee flew into the car window. And since the little boy was deathly allergic to bee stings, he became petrified. And his father quickly reached out and grabbed the bee and squeezed it in his hand. And he released it. But as soon as he let go, his young son became frantic once again as, as it buzzed by the little boy. And the father sensed his son's terror. And once again, he reached out his hand, but this time he pointed to his palm. And he said, there, stuck in his skin, was the stinger of the bee. And the father said, you see this? You don't need to be afraid anymore because I've taken the sting." Church, Jesus has taken the sting of death through his own death and burial and resurrection. And therefore, as a result of his sacrifice, we don't need to be afraid of death. Why? Because his finished work assures us that we will rise again. And the moment when we receive our perfect bodies, it will be the icing on the cake, the culmination of our faith. Because at that moment, we're going to join with all the resurrected saints and proclaim once and for all, O death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because, as, as we just sang about, Jesus won it. Battle's already won. And at that moment, we're going to feel the weight of that victory. Friends, this is the blessed hope and assurance of every believer. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. And so until this glorious day comes, what are we to do? How are we to respond to life? Well, this leads us to the last reality the preparation for your perfect body. What do we do as we prepare for this amazing time? Look at verse 58. Paul said, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. My grandmother used to tell us uh, that years ago she had a bell on her back porch. And whenever she rung that bell, it was a signal for all of her kids who were playing outside with the neighbors and whatnot to gather back home for lunch or dinner. You see, the kids kept busy until the bell rang. They were mindful that the bell could ring at any moment, but they didn't sit around doing nothing and just wait on the bell. Well, church, this represents how we should operate in relation to receiving our new bodies. At any moment, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. At any moment, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. At any moment, we're going to receive our perfect bodies. And we should be mindful that this event is imminent, right? However, while we wait for the trumpet call, God calls us to stay busy in our faith. In these closing verses, Paul provides two practical points of application for you and I. Number one, he says, be steadfast, immovable. If you recall, one of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter was because the Corinthians were wavering in their faith. And instead of being an influence on the pagan culture, they were being influenced by the pagan 
culture. And so in light of the future glory that awaits us, Paul called them and us to be unwavering in our faith and firm in our convictions. In other words, no matter how hard the waves of the world hit us, we're called to be firmly settled and secure and unshaken like the rocks they beat against. In other words, we're called to be spiritually grounded. How do I stay spiritually grounded? You've got to stay in God's word. You have to stay in God's word. You will find no truth nowhere else but in the word of God, the unchanging word of God. Number two, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now that word abounding carries the idea of exceeding the requirements, overflowing or outdoing. So what Paul's saying here is, while we wait for our future resurrection, we're called to outdo ourselves in doing God's work in the present. We're called to go all in, and then some, when it comes to following Christ. We're called to make sure that our time spent on earth is time well spent on things for eternity. Ephesians 5 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making what? The best use of time. The best use of time because the days are evil. Church, do you agree we're living in some pretty evil days? It's God's people, God's people that need to make the best use of their time while we wait on the Lord. And then finally, Paul closes with one last word of encouragement. He says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When we were little, my brothers and I used to avoid going, <laughs> avoid my grandfather at all costs, whenever we visited his lake house, we would like, my parents would pull up the car and we would bolt out of the van and we would run straight for the dock and jump in the lake before saying hi to grandpa. Now, why did we do that? Well, because whenever we went there, grandpa had this large wood pile on the side of the cabin. And for no apparent reason, whenever we arrived at the lake, he would say, all right, guys, I want you to move that pile here over there for no reason whatsoever. Like, we, we just want to go to the lake, we want to swim, we want to fish, we want to have fun, and Grandpa wants to put us to work. But it's, it was like meaningless work, right? It was work that was, it was work for work's sake, it was work that was done in vain. And so, man, like, we just jumped into that water, but he, he found a way to pull us out. But church, see, when it comes to doing God's work, the opposite is true. Nothing that we do for the Lord's sake is ever in vain. Even if it feels like I'm moving a wood pile from one section to another, when you do it unto the Lord, it's never done in vain. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we might reap. Does that say might? We what? Will reap if we do not give up. And so church, all of this to say, in light of God's plan for us in the future, let us do everything in our power with the help of the Holy Spirit to live our lives for God's glory in the present. The Lord promises that we won't regret it. Amen? Now, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to tell you something. You have no hope of a perfect body someday. What you got right now is the best you're ever going to get. And it's only going to get worse. Nor do you have a hope of eternal life. However, that can all change right here, right now. That's the beautiful news about the gospel. That can all change in your life right now. Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks this pointedly question, do you, you believe this? 
God's word is living and active, right? So that question is just as relevant right now in this room as it was 2,000 years ago. Do you believe this, church? Let me tell you something. The moment when you place your faith in Jesus, he will forgive you of your sins. He will save your soul. He will give you the gift of eternal life. That is the wonderful beauty and scandal of the gospel, that Jesus offers us eternity freely. Maybe that's you. Maybe this morning you're like, man, I, okay, like I'm tracking. I want, I want, I want to be, uh, have the assurance that I'm going to rise one day and I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be uh, with the Lord and some of my loved ones forever. Like I want that promise, but I don't think I have it right now. If that's you, listen to me. Friend, you could have it right now. You could have it right now. All you must do is admit that you're a sinner. Just between you and God. Asking God for his forgiveness and then believe in the person and work of Jesus. Believe means believe. The problem with a lot of churches today, they overcomplicate the gospel. They try to add all this stuff to it. It's believe is believe. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's how you become saved. And at the moment of belief, you will become born again spiritually. You'll become a child of God. And you will be the beneficiary of every blessing that I talked about today. And so if that's something that you'd like to do right now, I want to invite you right now to bow your head and pray this prayer with me in the quietness of your seat. We'll all pray together. But dear God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I want to turn from my sins, and I ask for your forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he died for my sins and that you raised him to life. And I want, to, I want him to come into my heart and take control of my life, and I want to trust Jesus as my Savior and follow him as my Lord from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, please let us know. Let us know by marking it on your Connect card. Uh, you can come forward after the service, grab a, an information packet in front of the pulpit here, just has some information on how to help you get started in your new relationship with Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it this morning, you are now a born-again child of God. Amen. And we praise God for that. And you have the promise of a perfect body someday. And so at this time, I'd like to call the praise team forward as we close in response with a song. And as they come forward, I want to pray for everybody else. I want to pray over our church that God would help us live in light of, his, in light of our huh, coming resurrection. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the assurance and the hope of eternal life, the hope of a perfect body, the hope of a perfect place where there's no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor tears anymore. Lord, that is our future hope. And in light of that future hope, God, we as your people, let that be our motivation to live for Jesus today. Lord, help us not to live uh, passionless lives. But as, as, as Paul said, we need to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. God, help us to do that today. We admit we cannot do it in our flesh, but we believe wholeheartedly we could do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, I just commit our church body and myself to your care this week. God, let us be sensitive to opportunities to serve you. One year down here and one year waiting for that trumpet to call. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.